mm-hmm. with a call chiffon margarine. Oh, I remember Chiffon. I remember Chiffon as a kid. You remember what the saying was for Chiffon margarine? I do not. I mean, you're going to say it, it's going to come back, but I can't tell you off the top of my head. It's not nice it's to fool Mother, Mother Nature. Nature. That's right. That's and, uh, you know, I. Now, I could it's be Chiffon. a thousand percent wrong, but I don't think we're out of winter yet. No, probably not, but you know what? How can you kill a radish? It's like a weed. Yeah. It's <laughs> just like a weed anyway, so hopefully the radish will be okay. But, David, there's been really fascinating stuff about immigration now that the weather report is over and the garden <laughs> is going to get planted. There's been fa- a fascinating um, bunch of immigration stuff that's come down. Of course, last week we talked about uh, the executive order and the uh, uh, the decision by the court uh, uh, in uh, in. Um, in Washington State to stop that. Did you know that that was not the only court reviewing the executive order? Uh, in fact, a, co- a court in Boston had stopped it temporarily, but then had not put a permanent stay in place. But yesterday, a court in Virginia, district court in Virginia, ruled once again uh, against the Trump administration on this issue. And what's fascinating is the Trump administration's policy seems to be, although it's a little unclear, it seems to be, we don't have to tell you, Judge, about our case. This is what the final decision, this final conclusion of the, of the 22-page decision of the judge said this. For the reasons discussed above, the court holds that the unrefuted evidence presented by the Commonwealth, that's Virginia, establishes that there is a likelihood that Virginia will prevail on the merits of the Establishment Clause, that it will suffer irreparable injury if the, if the enforcement of the provision is not enjoined as relates to Virginia residents. So this is Virginia very specifically. But basically... Uh, the Trump administration once again said, we don't have to tell you what our evidence is. We're in charge. It's national security, not your business. We have complete and utter authority over this. And I'm sure you saw over the weekend uh, that um, the president's, um, I don't know, what, he, what is he, like a policy advisor of some kind? Uh, uh, no, the other guy, Miller. Steve Miller went all the went all the TV shows on Sunday. Um, he was on all five shows, and he has just... Uh, just an odd look about him. There's just a, there's just a, something something about that guy that oh, just seems the young guy. The you thirty. Know, okay, I, I just barely saw a clip of it, but he has. There's a medical term for it, and I don't know. But basically, it is a drooping eyelid. If you not your strange look, if you go back and look yeah. at him, there's just something off about the guy. Eye that was not quite shut, but but. Compared to his yeah. right eye. You, you look at the video or the pictures of him, you, you know who he looks strangely like? He looks strangely like Putin. <laughs> Doesn't he have a little striking resemblance to Putin? Look at his left eye. Yeah, it's, it's a little bit lower than the right eye. Um, but there's just something about the guy. And you know what he said, of course, was, which was just stunning to anybody who understands the Constitution, is this... Um, he was asked by the guy faced the nation, John Dickerson. Uh, when I talked to the Republicans, this is Dickerson, uh, on the Hill, they wonder, what in the White House? What have you learned from the experience of the executive order? This is what Miller said. Well, I think it's been an important reminder to all Americans that we have a judiciary that has taken far too much power and become, in many cases, the supreme branch of government. One unelected judge in Seattle... You know, under our Constitution, all judges are unelected. Um, uh, in, in federal government, uh, in Seattle, cannot remake laws for the entire country. Uh, actually, he can. That's called the Constitution. But, but I mean, this is just crazy. 
John, the idea that you have a judge in Seattle say that a foreign national living in Libya has an effective right to enter the United States is 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 beyond anything we've ever seen before. No, no, no it's not. But this is where it gets... And this is where I'd love to get your opinion on this, because I, I think this is crazy. The end result of this, though, is that our opponents, our opponents, the media, and the whole world will soon see as we begin to take further actions, that the power of the president to protect our country are very substantial and will not be questioned. What's your take on that, David? I mean, you've read the Constitution. I've read the Constitution. Does it say anywhere in the Constitution that the president's decisions on national security will not be questioned? I, I don't think that's in there. That's in the same place you find the privacy rights in the Constitution. It's, pretty, it's part of the penumbra. Are the are the separation of church and state? Well, that's again part of that First Amendment clause on the establishment it's not clause. In the well, the idea of separation of church and state is not in the Constitution, but it, that is what you call the First Amendment: the separation of church and state, where there should be no establishment religion. We're not talking about that, Dave. We're talking about this. But right, does this concern you at all? That the, the the one of the two remaining advisors to the president believes that the president, his power, cannot be questioned. Does that bother you at all? Well, obviously every president, that's why we have three branches of government. Well, they don't think there's three branches of government. They, they're, t- they're questioning the legitimacy of an unelected judge to tell them what the law is. Uh. You know, I, I go back... I don't want to make you defend this guy, David. Pardon? I don't want to make you defend this guy. I'm not defending him. Good, uh, because it's indefensible, what he did you here. Know, uh, like I said, that's why we have three branches. Any, any, the, the administration or the executive branch can question uh, either one of the other two branches. Uh, may or may not do any good. Well, David, this is not the end of it. That's what he said on Meet the Press. He was on all five shows. Now, here's what's interesting about him. He wasn't actually on the shows. He was standing behind a podium at the White House with a teleprompter. So this wasn't stuff off of his head. He was reading this stuff. Here's what he said on Fox News Sunday, quote, about this order. This is a judicial usurpation of the power. It's a violation of the judge's proper roles in litigating disputes. We will fight it. And, quote, we will make sure that we take action to keep from happening in the future what's happened in the past. Th- these are this is their ominous statements from this guy, this 31-year-old punk kid at the White House. Um, and we're going to get into more of his background here in a second. Um, you know, it's really interesting because... Um, uh, a guy from the Post wrote this. Ju- judges actually do generally defer to the executive branch of immigration and national security, but there's a but. There's always a but. I mean, ultimately, the courts are the ultimate arbiters of what the law is in the United States uh, and the authority of the branches. And what's interesting about that, that was actually established uh, in a case called Marbury versus Madison, one of the first real Supreme Court cases that judged the limits of the executive authority of the president. Here's the quote. Congress, in 1952, said the president, this is the law that um, Trump keeps reading, 
made by proclamation and for such period as he shall deem necessary, suspend the entry of all aliens and any class of aliens as immigrants or non-immigrants whenever he thinks it would be detrimental to the interests of the United States. But... Those battling Trump's executive order also point out the law has been amended to ensure that no person shall receive any preference or priority to be discriminated against in the issuance of an immigrant visa because of race, nationality, place of birth, or place of residence. Now, the, this case, these two cases in Virginia and in Washington, the big hurdle is over the Establishment Clause, of which the Supreme Court ruled that, quote, that one religious denomination cannot be officially preferred over another. That's what the Supreme Court said. In Trump's executive order, he actually says, we will give preference to people that are minority religions in their country and, and or Christians. You cannot do that in any aspect of federal law or law enforcement. And that's exactly what they have latched on to. Um, uh, it, this... this Steve Miller guy is just, it's bizarro. How does a 31-year-old, David, get the president's ear and and manipulate the process? Now, I mean, Kevin Miller is the guy that wrote Trump's inauguration speech, by the way, in case you did not know. He's also the one that wrote Trump's uh, speech at the Republican National Convention, the one that said, only I can fix it. So we have to ask ourselves, who, who is this guy? Who is this guy that comes off saying, the president will not be questioned? The president will not be questioned. That, that to me, just sounds so uh, authoritarian. Uh, sounds like something that might come out of the Soviet Union. And uh, it, it surprises me that even though we've had at least some people talk about this, that more Americans aren't more deeply disturbed by this. Uh, which makes me to wondering, are Americans paying attention to the policy that impacts immigration here? Because, David, I've written this and spoken many times about this. Immigrants are the canary in the coal mine. If you don't think a deprivation of rights can happen to you as a natural-born U.S. citizen, you are sadly mistaken. Because if it can happen to immigrants, it can certainly happen to you. So let, we can delve in when we come back from the break here a little bit more about the background of this mysterious Steve Miller. We've, we've, we've looked at Bannon. Bannon's been looked at very deeply, and everybody knows he comes from, from the white supremacist movement. Everybody knows that uh, he, is, uh, he caters to those that um, uh, want to Ameri- make America white again. We, we know where he comes from. But where does this Miller guy come from? There's very, very little in the press about him uh, until yesterday. Uh, and so we come back here on Immigration Hour on America's Web Radio. We're going to talk about Steve Miller and where he came from. Si usted tiene problemas con inmigración o asuntos que tiene que arreglar, llama a los abogados de Cook Immigration Partners. Somos en su lado. Tenemos más de 50 años de experiencia haciendo las leyes de inmigración y defendiendo a los inmigrantes. Llámenos hoy a las 404-816-8611, a las 404-816-8611 o al www.immigration.net. This is Skip Coriel, host of the Home Defense Show on America's Web Radio. Join me every week as we explore all aspects of home and family defense as we strive to defend the ones we love 
in an ever-changing and volatile world. Cook Immigration Partners is your passport through the immigration maze. Whether it's help with e-verify in your business, or help in how to document a new employee under the new I-9 rules, or if you marry a foreign national, Cook Immigration Partners is your best choice for a legal advocate. Call us today at 866-286-6200. That's 866-286-6200. Or visit us on the web at www.immigration.net. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to the Immigration Hour on America's Web Radio. It's great to be back, David. Uh, We're talking here about Steve Miller. Uh, Now, David, what do you consider to be the mainstream media? Can you name me an outlet that would be the mainstream media? ABC, ABC, CBS, okay. NBC. All right. New York Times. New York Times. Washington Post. Okay. Generally unreliable or reliable or biased in your opinion? I think they're extremely biased. Okay. What about CNN? Biased. Fox News? Probably middle of the road to, to a bit biased. On the one side, on their side. So I'm not going to quote any of those people. <laughs> Okay. What about Univision News? You know, I know of them. I've never watched, so I can't really... Univision is a uh, television station based out of Mexico, uh, owned in Mexico. Um, It's undergoing some weird ownership changes right now. But uh, they have, you know, they put out news. Uh, They would be considered mainstream media in Mexico. Or even here in the United States, among those who speak Spanish and you watch television, you're going to get Univision. Well, they sent a reporter out. To look at Mr. Miller, you know where you know it's just funny. Where's the mainstream media on this? I wouldn't consider Univision the mainstream media. They're kind of you know they're probably very pro-immigrant, okay? Uh, but facts don't lie, right? I mean, facts or whatever facts are. If you're, you're putting facts on a piece of paper without interpretation, you know, a lot of times what you get in the New York Times, where you get kind of an interpretation. And uh, I don't think you get that as much in the Post. I think the Post is, is pretty fair in a lot of issues. Uh, they seem to go after everybody equally. Um, the big news channels, you know, MSNBC's got their side, Fox has got their side, CNN seems to be in the middle of both of those, but they've all got an agenda. Uh, Univision Fox doesn't have an agenda, but this is actually a disturbing article. Uh, so here you got a guy, he's 31 years old. Now, David, when I was 31 years old, I was pretty cocky myself. I thought I knew everything in the whole wide world. Uh, I'd been a lawyer for four whole years, uh, and um, I had um, was pretty confident in myself. Uh, I, th- I don't know. Were you pretty confident as a 31-year-old? Kind of feeling your, your your superiority of your fellow man, just kind of. No, I, you I, weren't I, like that. You're a humble guy. You're a humble guy. So you're not Steve Miller. Maybe I was more like Steve Miller then. Um, so here is here is what he is. Politically incorrect, self-confident, and experienced with a microphone. So here's what's interesting. Uh, Steve Miller grew up in Santa Monica, California. When I say the words Santa Monica, what do you think of, David? Jerks. <laughs> liberals? Yeah. Liberals, okay. Let's, let's not call people jerks, David, okay? Let's call them liberals. All right. Liberals. You think it's pretty liberal. So he grew up in, Santa, in California. All right. Um, there is a video... Of Steve Miller, uh, in his high school, he gave a 90-second speech during his uh, uh, junior year of high school. Uh, apparently, as part of some sort of um, political campaign, 
Um, uh, and uh, the video uh, is uh, really interesting. Um, uh, it must have been campaigning for something that says this, quote, I'm the only com- con- candidate up here who stands up. I would say and do things that no one else in their right mind would say or do. Am I the only one who is sick and tired of being told to pick up our trash when we have plenty of janitors who are paid to do it for us? Now, supposedly he was 16 years old in that, but that's only 15 years ago. That's less than half a lifetime ago. Um, uh, This story that you will find on Univision is uh, very interesting. Very interesting, and I would commend you. It's uh, on my Facebook page. Um, And... uh, it says uh, says this. Um, uh, they interviewed a guy. One of the guys I talked to is Christopher Moritz, a, one of his few friends in high school, who shared his conservative ideas and defends them still. Interview with Univision, Moritz said of his friend was not a racist. That speech, as I remember, it's really written more as satire. <laughs> is that how you defend racism? Is satire? I think most people understood that. No one took it seriously. It was kind of a kind of a senior prank sort of thing. But the recording reinforces a profile of Miller that Univision and other media formed from his early season writings when he developed his reactionary political ideas. Now, when you say things like reactionary political ideas, you're going to get an agenda, right? Okay, okay let's, let's look at the facts, though. Um, out of context, the comment would be interpreted as a bad joke. But in the, in the diverse and tolerant Santa Monica High, many were offended, finding his words unacceptably classist and racist. Miller was cut off almost immediately. In the stands, some offended students got up from their seats and were set to take the stage to face Miller, according to Natalie Flores, who was in the audience. In the video, the president of the student assembly, Colleen Yamamura Clark, is seen jostling with Miller to get him to leave the podium. Counselor Don, Don Hedrick and Vice President Justin Siplin escorted him off the stage. The high student high school newspaper called the Samohi reported that according to the organizers, the reasons for silencing Miller was that he exceeded his allotted 90 seconds. But other speakers had gone over their time without being cut off, according to the students who also made speeches that day. The newspaper reported that speeches had been pre-approved by Hedrick. But students recalled that that day told Univision they would have been surprised if Miller's outburst had received a green light and suspect he may have improvised. Justin Brownstone, the president at the time, said he heard that remark about the janitors before. He enjoyed saying things that were perceived as racist. The more he offended, the happier he was. That was what Brownstone recalled. It was a racist remark because we all knew that our janitors were people of color, Natalie Flores said. Students said the custodians were Latino or black. More than a dozen students interviewed by Univision described Miller as a provocateur who used to make racial remarks. Many said he seemed to enjoy offending minorities and gave details of events involving other students. One of the students, Moises Castillo, was at the amphitheater on the day of the speech and said he heard Miller make remarks, offensive remarks in the school hallways. He said he once went to an altercation between Miller's and members of Mecha, a group that promotes Mexican-American identity. According to Castillo, Miller snapped, This is the United States. Speak English. A comment like that stays buried in your mind. You don't forget it even years later, said Castillo, who is a Coast Guard veteran. Another Latino student refused to be identified for fear of reprisals, said Miller once shouted at him, Go back to your country and speak English. Univision requested an interview with Miller to give him the opportunity to recount his version of the incidents, but he has not responded. In the video, Miller's friend Moritz dismissed the complaints of those who felt offended. Personally, I would have laughed at that, Moritz tells the interview. It's just joking. 
Moritz, who today works as an investment banker, told Univision that his friend had a humorous streak. I've never had once in my entire life, in public or private, Stephen uttering a racial comment at all. Moritz added that Miller had friends from very diverse backgrounds at school, including a conservative black talk radio host. He added that it was unfair to characterize Miller later, years later, by his high school behavior. Stephen should be looked at through the lens of his work in Congress and his work in the Trump administration, going back that many years, just gets into a kind of gray area. Last week, Univision reported on Miller developed hostility towards Latinos in his high school. He pestered minority students and lobbied against the use of Spanish or the celebration of festivals that promoted their cultural identity. Now, Miller said in an article written in 2005, so long after high school, published, said this, the best summary of his high school views on race. In that article, penned shortly after graduating um, uh, high school for the weekly Santa Monica Mirror, Miller gave his recipe to, quote, end the disease of racism. He said he disagreed with multiculturalism that segregated students in history classes as well as celebrations of cultural clubs. Instead of breaking down students by race and ethnicity, we should bring them all together, all as Americans, all as equal. We should stress the one culture we all hold in common, the American culture. Um, many of Trump's campaign speeches were drafted by Miller and reflect his narrow vision of American identity. Again, a little bit of look at there. For many former Santa Monica student, high school students, this view of race and culture hides, under the guise of good intentions, the majority suppression of minorities' cultural expression. Nor do they see how that discourse squares with the continuous provocations they recall from Miller. One student said this, He was a shameless racist, said Charles Gould. In private conversations, he's constantly made disparaging remarks about African-American, Latino, and Asian students at our school. The election in which Miller competed turned out to be historic for the school's Latinos. Cynthia Santiago became the first Latino woman elected, uh, and Rivera as commissioner of elections. All three competed on the same platform called MAC. Um, this is uh, this is really interesting, uh, David, because this is the second of two articles written by Univision about Steve Miller. In the first article, um, was uh, which came out about three days ago, uh, uh, was uh, written by Univision, but also followed up on by a guy named Steve Hatton. And he said this, uh, this is actually the quote, Stephen Miller and Jason Islas grew up in sunny, sunny Southern California in the late 90s, united by their passion for Star Trek. But Miller stopped talking to his friend as he prepared to jump from Lincoln Middle School to Santa Monica High School. Miller only returned Eastless calls at the end of the summer to coldly explain the reason for his estrangement. I can't be your friend anymore because you are a Latino, Eastless remembers him saying. Now that's, uh, that's actually um, uh, disturbing. Uh, because where did uh, Miller go from there? Well, Miller went from there on to Duke. Uh, clearly, he's no idiot. He's clearly a very smart guy if he got into Duke after high school in Santa Monica. Um, and uh, at Duke, he had other writings uh, that also uh, betrayed his true sentiments about, about race and about, uh, about Latinos. Um, at Duke, he, quote, continued pushing his ideals in the student newspaper and conservative media. He was also seen as associated to radicals like Richard Spencer, the creator of the term alt-right, or the white-red nationalist, uh, anti-immigration activist David Horowitz, and white nationalist Jared Taylor. Um, it's um, more disturbing that after he graduated from Duke, Miller went to work for Jeff Sessions, 
who we've talked about on this show before, who also has major issues regarding race, uh, which apparently didn't matter to the 52 Republicans who voted for him, or 51 Republicans since he couldn't vote for himself. Or did he vote for himself? I can't recall whether he voted for himself or not. Um, to become Attorney General. Uh, Jeff Sessions was the most conservative and anti-globalization member of the Senate. Those who know him said it was not surprising to see him during the presidential campaign delivering fiery introductory speeches for Trump. Um, some of Miller's fellow high school classmates now say they are alarmed by the power he seems to yield. He is a, he is very dangerous, said Eastless. One thing is a kid who makes inappropriate heist comments in a high school newspaper, and another is letting him write presidential orders. And they say they recognize Miller's voice when they listen to Trump's speeches. Rose Marine said that rereading Miller's writings in high school gave him an eerie feeling. It's like you're reading Trump's words written by a 16-year-old kid from California. Um, it's really disturbing, David, that we have somebody in the White House that seems to hold views which do not uh, reflect uh, the opinions of a vast majority of Americans today. Uh, this is the kind of thing, David, I think ultimately uh, that will get uh, Trump unelected in four years or may result in his impeachment. Uh, we have a system in government, of course, with our Congress, who does oversight of our uh, of our executive branch, as well as its own branch, as well as judiciary. Uh, and so far, the oversight part of the process of Trump seems to be non-existent. Now, events of the last couple of days seem to suggest that maybe Congress will get in gear on its oversight of the Trump administration. But here's the problem. If you have people that are either sycophants or who can manipulate a president who is not nearly as well-read as we have come to expect from our presidents, who is not nearly as uh, in touch with the, quote, common man and with uh, the people who actually inhabit the United States, we're bound to wind up in a much more authoritarian place than we have ever been as a country. We'll be right back on the Immigration Hour on America's Web Radio. Soy Charles Cook, del bufete de abogados Cook Immigration Partners. Si usted tiene problemas con inmigración, llámenos hoy. Conocemos la ley. Sabemos cómo ayudarle. Si hay algo que se puede hacer, nosotros lo podemos hacer. Llámenos a las 404-816-8611. A las 404-816-8611. O visítenos por el internet a la www.immigration.net. Did you miss the show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on americaswebradio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on americaswebradio.com anytime you like. Whether cruising the strip at a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on americaswebradio.com. Cook Immigration Partners is your passport through the immigration maze. Whether it's help with e-verify in your business, or help in how to document a new employee under the new I-9 rules, or if you marry a foreign national, Cook Immigration Partners is your best choice for a legal advocate. Call us today at 866-286-6200. That's 866-286-6200. Or visit us on the web at www.immigration.net. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. 
Welcome back to the Immigration Hour on America's Web Radio. David, I, the other issue I want to talk a little bit about today was that uh, extraordinary event last night where the shortest-serving national security advisor in American history uh, was uh, forcibly removed from office through his resignation. What's your take on that? I'm just kind of curious. I mean, I... Um, he made a mistake, and uh, he's gone. Well, he lied. He didn't make a mistake. He intentionally well, he, lied. I mean, let's not kid ourselves here. He made a mistake, and then he lied to cover it up. Right. Well, he lied, and then he lied to cover that lie up. I, mean, I, I don't think he made a mistake. He knew exactly what he was doing. So here, here's the question that I don't have an answer to. Maybe you've heard something different from your sources. Um, what was actually discussed in those phone calls? How many were there? Uh, the fascinating have part to call is the NSA for that. Exactly the point, right? This is a guy who was his job before in the in the Bush in the in the Obama administration. He he, he was directly involved in national intelligence, and he had to have known that we record every conversation that goes into or comes out of the Russian embassy. He had to have known that, or he's a moron. Okay, so he had to have known. His conversations were being recorded, right? Or he's just too stupid to be national security advisor. So why would he do it? Maybe, maybe he thought, since he was going to become the director of national intelligence, that he could just suppress that. But then you had Trump. This is where it gets very interesting. This, this is the doggy the dog world of Washington, D.C. politics, David. So what has Trump been doing for the last months about national... Oh, the CIA are idiots. I know more than the generals. They don't know what's going on. And he has, mar- he has tried to marginalize the very people we depend on for our national security. And how do you think they reacted to that? Well, clearly, they dug up these calls. I can, you can't even imagine. They make sure any call Miller makes, or any, any call that uh, the, uh, 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 Kelly, the general makes, Flynn. Flynn makes, is recorded. Let, and let's listen to those. So much so that even Sally Yates... The uh, acting attorney general fired by Trump because she wouldn't defend the unconstitutional executive order. Even she was given the information, we don't know by whom, but clearly by somebody in national intelligence. And she went to the White House counsel and said, Flynn is dangerous. He said it to blackmail. You need to get rid of him now. Why didn't they act on this? Why was he still around? Why was he still give, have a security clearance? Why was he still advising the president? When the Attorney General and the CIA and the NSA is telling the Trump administration, this guy is lying to you. Now, they tr- clearly they tried to do it behind closed doors, right, David? I mean, none of this leaked out until the Washington Post reports on it. And why did the Washington Post report on it? Because the officials saw that Trump was going to do nothing. Trump was going to just let it go, okay, don't do it again, if that's even the case, because who knows, maybe Trump's part of it. We don't have any freaking idea. Maybe Trump told him to do it. Given Flynn's and Trump's relationship, would it surprise you at all that he was acting on Trump's orders and then he was reporting directly to Trump? Yeah, he lied to, he, he lied to Pence, but I don't think he lied to Trump. Do you think he lied to Trump? Would any rational person think he lied to Donald Trump? No. I think Trump absolutely knew what Flynn was doing, which gets into the whole oversight issue. And when these national intelligence folks realize that the Trump White House was going to do nothing on this, 
They went to the only opportunity they had left, and that's the media. Why do you think Trump is always talking down the media as the enemy of America? Because they're the only people left. And David, I hate to say this to you, but we're the media too. Okay, You're the media. So when he talks about the media, he's talking about you. Um, the only source left for, for truth. The only source left to get the word out. That, oh my God, hello, look over here, pay attention. There's something bad going on here. Now, how long will, will Flynn face silent? How much was he given to resign and remain quiet about his connection to the Russians and what Trump knew? Will there ever be an investigation by House Oversight Committee or Intelligence Committee that asks the question, what did the president know and when did he know it? You know, that's the question you ask of Nixon. It's a question you asked of Reagan. It's a question you asked of Obama on Benghazi. How is this any different? I mean, we have to apply the same standard, don't we? But this is what troubles me. You had a guy that, that, that Trump was warned had deep connections to the Russians. This guy had dinner with Vladimir Putin after Obama fired him. That raise, doesn't that raise any alarms with anybody? Uh, is the Republican-controlled Congress so focused on getting their Supreme Court pick in that they will not rock this boat until that's done. <clears throat> it's David, it's something that I um, uh, I am uh, deeply troubled by. And I would hope that more Americans would be deeply troubled by because uh, this is something that is going to affect the country a lot going forward if it isn't made clear that that Flynn was acting on his own on this. But until we know that for sure how can you be sure Trump didn't know about this? You know, oddly, the one guy who comes across smelling like roses in this, Vice President Pence. Makes me think of the House of Cards, you know? Just, is Pence really that, that devious that he figured this all out? Is, he, is, is Mike Pence really Frank Underwood? You've never watched House of Cards, have you, David? You probably should watch it. You're a political station. You've got to watch House of Cards. Um, is he really that devious? No, I don't think so. Um, I don't think so. But this is something that will reverberate through the rest of the Trump administration. Uh, it will be one of the key things that any legitimate Democratic candidate will bring forward in the midterms. And David, I think that Trump is going to face primary opposition in 2020. Should he even choose to run? He may pull a Lyndon Johnson, you know, uh, say I'm not going to run in 2020 uh, and put Pence up. But I think that. Uh, Kasich is going to run against him in 2020. I think Kasich is setting himself up right now as the alternative to Donald Trump in 2020. And I think that's going to be a legitimate campaign. People are going to be very tired of Donald Trump. Uh, My wife reminded me that this is only week four of 208 weeks. And we've already had more drama in the last three and a half weeks than we did in the eight years of the Obama administration. I mean, the internal drama in the White House, Americans don't need this coming out of the White House. They just don't need it. Everybody's got enough drama in their own lives. You have drama in your life, David? Probably not as much anymore as you used to. Um, But we don't need this kind of drama in our lives. You know, the president's supposed to convey a reassuring 
demeanor, a reassuring confidence and, and, and vision for America. And my gosh, we don't get that out of this White House. We doesn't even come close coming out of this White House. And it's just stunning to me that we uh, are facing today this idea where we can't even trust uh, the people working in the White House to do what's good for all Americans. Um, so that's kind of my immigration rant for, for Flynn. Uh, David, are you familiar with the uh, with Twitter? With the Twitter, the president's on this occasionally, and you have a Twitter account here at America's Web Radio, right? Do you happen to follow Rogue POTUS staff? You probably should follow Rogue POTUS staff, David. It's it's an interesting. Uh, and those of you who haven't, who are on Twitter, who haven't followed them, you should follow them. They don't follow hardly anybody else, but they uh, they post some very interesting stuff up there uh, that. Whether they're in the Trump White House or not, they purport to be in the Trump White House. Uh, they certainly have some very interesting information that has never failed to not be true going forward. Um, now, David, this last weekend, I want to kind of flip topics here. We had a series of raids. Well, at least the press call them raids around the United States. I don't know if you've heard this over the weekend. Maybe you saw my partner Hibba Ghalib on NBC Nightly News on Saturday night talking about the raids. You probably don't, of course, you weren't watching NBC Nightly News on Saturday night. Uh, you're probably reading a good book uh, or buying seeds for the garden this year, buying garden seeds. Uh, well, uh, Friday and Saturday, in six cities around the United States, ICE engaged uh, in uh, enforcement, what they call targeted enforcement operations. So what is the difference between raids, or in Spanish they call them redadas, redadas, and targeted enforcement actions? I'm glad you asked that question, David, because here's the difference. Raids bring with them this connotation with black helicopters and big green buses rolling up to a meatpacking plant in Iowa and surrounding the plant and then checking everybody's papers on a suspicion that there's lots of undocumented immigrants there. That's a raid. Uh, What ICE did over the weekend is a little bit different. Uh, From my knowledge of how ICE works, gathered from friends in the agency and just simple understanding of the process, uh, ICE has developed uh, a pretty good mapping system for uh, several classes of foreign nationals. One, you have the class of foreign nationals that uh, are undocumented in the United States. Now, generally, they don't know where the undocumented are, although they know they live in apartment complexes that are heavily Latino. They're going to suppose that many people are undocumented. But they know the names of people that have criminal convictions. And they know the names of people that have criminal arrests for, for, for crimes. And they know the names of people that have deportation orders. So what do they do, David? ICE has access to a database uh, which is owned by LexisNexis. It used to be called ChoicePoint. I don't know what it's called today. Uh, but it's not unlike a um, public access database you can get online. Uh, today and I can actually go into LexisNexis and I can I can get access to the same information. I put a name in, and if I've got a birth date, and they generally have birth dates for these people too, if I got a name and a birth date, it's going to spit out to me all the information that the world has about that person. It could come from the internet, 
It'll come from public records, like divorces and marriages. It will come from births. Uh, it will come from tickets. It will come from arrests. It will come from housing purchases, deeds, uh, uh, any anything registered with uh, with liens, like you buy a car. There might be a lien registered against the car. All that comes up. So ISIN says, okay, uh, we need to pick up. In Atlanta, they picked up something like eighty or ninety or hundred people. Who are we going to go after? Well, let's go after the bad guys. Let's go after people that have criminal convictions or criminal arrests or prior deportation orders and criminal arrests, criminal convictions that we believe let's stay here. Let's map out where they are. So they say, okay, hey, if this apartment complex on Buford Highway, 10 people live there that we want to detain. So they drive up in their, in their vans and they do one of two things. They used to go knock on the door, David. But now they realize that most immigrants are smart enough and been told by the ACLU and by me, don't open your door. If you don't know who it is, don't open your door. You don't smell smoke, don't open your door. So they wait outside for people to leave, and then as they leave, they stop them in the street because they have an arrest. They have a, 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 a civil arrest warrant for them, which they can execute on in a public space, and they can arrest them. And so they end up picking up some people that way. Other people did let them in their houses. And they picked up those people if they were there. And they also picked up, and this is the difference between Obama, well, Obama did this too to a certain extent, but much more aggressively now under Trump, is the collateral people that were picked up. Let's come back and talk about this a bit more on America's Web Radio. Soy Charles Cook, abogado y jefe del grupo de abogados Cook Immigration Partners. Llámenos hoy si usted tiene problemas con inmigración, si ha sido arrestado, si se casó con un ciudadano, o tiene una oferta de trabajo. Nosotros le podemos ayudar. También podemos explicar cómo, qué puedes hacer para recibir los beneficios de inmigración. Llámenos hoy a las 404-816-8611. 404-816-8611. O visítenos por el internet al www.immigration.net. This is Lawyer Liz. Join me each week as we discuss drones, the Internet of Things, and all the technology in between. It's Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz, Wednesdays at 2. Cook Immigration Partners is your passport through the immigration maze. Whether it's help with e-verify in your business, or help in how to document a new employee under the new I-9 rules, or if you marry a foreign national, Cook Immigration Partners is your best choice for a legal advocate. Call us today at 866-286-6200. That's 866-286-6200. Or visit us on the web at www.immigration.net. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to the final segment here on America's Web Radio. Uh, we were talking about these raids over the weekend, uh, or, or targeted enforcement action, as ICE likes to call it. And one of the differences with ICE uh, and uh, under Obama and Trump is there appears to be a much greater willingness to pick up collateral uh, detainees. So they get into a house, and ICE carries with them portable biometric identifying units. Have you seen these, David? This is where you could, it's literally like a little iPad, like a phone, and it's an app, and you put your finger on it and take your fingerprints, then it runs it through the database, and then it comes back. So they, if they get it, let into an apartment, and there's other people there, I say, what's your name? Now, once somebody's in your house, you don't have to answer their questions. Yeah, there's this really powerful thing called the Constitution that says you have the right to remain silent. 
you don't have to answer any police officer's questions inside your house at all. You just say, I'm not going to answer your questions. I want a lawyer if you want to continue questioning. Beam. That should shut down. They don't always listen to that advice, but that generally stops the conversation right there. They also have no right to take your fingerprints because you're not in custody of any kind. If you're not the person they're looking for, they have no right to take your fingerprints. But if they take their prints and say, oh, you're also undocumented. Oh, you're also uh, been ordered deported. Oh, you also have a criminal conviction. Oh, you're just somebody you want to arrest. They take that person away. A story came out of Savannah where one of these raids were last week uh, where the ICE went into an apartment complex or a trailer park to look for somebody, and that person wasn't home. And so they began looking around. They saw a man driving out with several children in his car uh, who was Latino. They st- everybody who lives in this, this, this area is all Latino in this apartment complex slash trailer park. And they took his fingerprints, and they detained him because he was undocumented. He was driving four children in his car, including his, his severely uh, disabled Down syndrome child, and took him into ICE custody. And all because he was undocumented. He had no other criminal convictions. He just had no legal papers. Um, that's collateral. And that's something Obama did, but not to this kind of extent. So to get their numbers, because they're, they're, they're clearly assigned numbers to go out and get, they look for people who aren't who they're assigned to get that they can also bring in. So when, when the numbers came out yesterday with ICE and there's press release that said that they detained 680 people over the last week with part of their targeted enforcement actions, uh, and they say many of them were criminals, but many of them were not. Many of them were just average people living their lives who had committed the, uh, the misdemeanor offense of entering the country illegally, but who were working gainfully, they were supporting their families, uh, and as ISIS now put those people in detention. Uh, many of them are, are being denied bond, which is very different under the Obama administration, the Trump, administ- the Trump administration, the Obama administration. Obama administration, you generally got bond uh, unless you were truly a danger to the community, unless you were a steward as well, where, where no bonds were given up until recently with our new judges. Uh, and so you had a situation where they're now detained. Who's going to support their families? Their kids are much more likely to go on welfare, uh, and you're going to rip a family apart. Uh, while Trump's defense is, hey, I promised to do this, it's not quite true. What he promised to do was arrest and deport the bad guys, the bad bad dudes. Uh, but many of these people weren't bad dudes. We have one case, David, of a uh, young man who is now 33 years old. He is uh, was adopted in Germany by his U.S. citizen parents who were serving in Germany in the U.S. military. They brought him back to the United States prior to a change in the law that would have made him a U.S. citizen. When he was 16 years old, he committed a crime. Uh, that crime was a, quote, felony, but for which he, he essentially served no jail time, uh, and, and he pled guilty, and he was on his way. And ICE never did anything about this guy, nothing at all. Fifteen years later, he's married, he's got three kids, still had his green card, renewed his green card, in fact. Um, by all accounts, just a really good guy who made a mistake as a teenager. I showed up at his house three weeks ago, arrested him, put him in custody, and are denying him bond. You can't get out. And this crime is what's considered under immigration law an aggravated felony. It's essentially a battery with longer than a one-year sentence, although he never served a year in jail. But it's an aggravated felony under immigration law. So the immigration argues, well, he's not eligible for any relief, and he's German. I read the letter from his father, uh, a retired military colonel, 
uh, who was indignant that a childhood mistake could result in the deportation of his son, whom he raised essentially from birth, who is by all accounts today living a good, honest, wonderful life and contributing to American society. That's what Trump is doing. That's who Trump is going after. And so when you say these criminal bad guys, Trump likes you to think that he's picking up people who are actively committing crimes in your community. And surely he has picked up a few of those. But who they're really going after, David, are people with old criminal arrests or convictions. A DUI from 15 years ago. An aggravated assault from 12 years ago. A battery conviction from 20 years ago. And this guy is a permanent resident. I mean, he has the right to be here? No, he does not, given the way the laws are written today. Trump has essentially taken away what is called prosecutorial discretion. That is the decision of the of the local ICE officers and ICE attorneys to say, you know what, we're not going to enforce the law in this case. Now, prosecutors do that every single day in our criminal justice system. Every single day, the prosecutors make a decision, I'm not going to prosecute this case. It's not worthy of my time. It's a, it's a small enough issue, and there is enough equities that balance out the negativity negatives that I'm not going to go ahead and, uh, and prosecute it. And Obama did that for the last two years of his presidency. That is now gone. I was having a conversation with a reporter yesterday, David, about this, who didn't understand, well, Obama deported 3 million people. Why did his numbers go down the last couple of years? Well, they went down because they had decided that there were certain people they simply weren't going to deport. And when we went over in one of our prior podcasts, Trump's executive order on interior enforcement, Maybe this bears repeating in another podcast in the future. What we saw was the idea of discretion disappearing, gone, and a new definition of criminal put in its place, such that there was essentially no way for an immigrant, whether undocumented or legal, to make a single mistake without facing the wrath of being deported and separating permanently from from your family. Um, there is a, a great deal, David, of, uh, of leeway within immigration law. And one thing that I do find curious is this, this focus on criminal aliens. Last year, Obama deported like 275,000 or so criminal aliens, although many of them weren't criminals. Um, there are not that many left to deport. So at a certain point, the focus changes from being we're deporting guys who are rapists and murderers to we're deporting the guys whose family we're supporting who got in a bar fight 15 years ago. Uh, So it's going to be a very interesting and very sad application of the law uh, uh, if this keeps up under the Trump administration. And I am, uh, um, and unfortunately, and I say this unfortunately, uh, it is causing fear and panic in in legal immigrant communities. David, I wrote a blog uh, last Friday, a week ago Friday, uh, on the nine things you need immigrants need to know, including naturalized citizens, about what Trump's doing and the impact on it. 
And I've gotten over 130 comments on that blog, which is unusual, as you know, in a blog to get that many comments. I've answered almost all of those comments. And they're not from undocumented immigrants. There. They're from legal immigrants who are fearful of what the Trump administration will do to them. Uh, so pe- people once complained about, uh, well, it's only the illegal immigrants that need to fear. That's simply not true. Trump is going to attack with guys like Miller... With guys like Bannon, with senators like Cotton and Purdue, they're going to attack legal immigration. And I see that happening very much more quickly over the next several weeks. I think, David, you're going to see an executive order in the very near future from the Trump White House on legal immigration that's going to cause a reaction in the business community that will not be favorable to Trump. Uh, And worse... It will have a real negative impact on the U.S. economy. I'm thinking um, that uh, Trump is certainly a one-term president, because I thought Hillary was going to win, too, right? You were, I was wrong about that. I still owe you dinner, I think. Um, but what he is doing today is changing the very nature of who we are as a country and what we believe in as, quote, American values. And... and trying to cause Americans to to believe that there is a terrorist behind every tree, that there is an illegal immigrant behind every house ready to break in and murder you and rape your wife. That's the kind of fear he is sowing, trying to sow in the American economy. Rarely do you hear words of positivity about growth that's not about him personally. That's about America come out of this president. David Ronald Reagan is rolling over in his grave when he hears Donald Trump referred to as a Republican. Ronald Reagan would not stand for this today. And I think you see that in the reactions of George H.W. Bush and George W. Bush uh, to this administration, that they are, in fact, appalled by these things that are going on because these actions do not, they simply do not reflect Republican values. Now, now David, there is a race for Congress here. And uh, uh, your favorite former congressman is no longer your congressman. So you should be at least celebrating a little bit today, right? Uh, Governor Deal has called for a special election. uh, And registration for that special election ends, I believe, David, tomorrow. Uh, And I have been considering a run for that office. Um, and I will be announcing later today on my Facebook whether I will run for that office or not. Uh, but, David, I am I'm concerned that if, if somebody who supports Trump in that election and wins that election here in the 6th District uh, may become a one-term congressman or an 18-month congressman, because I believe there's going to be a landslide groundswell, much like there was in 2010 against Obama, against Trump in 2018. David, thanks for being with me today on the Immigration Hour. I will let you know what seeds I order. Uh, anything I can get you? Do you want anything in particular? Some some special kind? Of, you know what? I'm going to get you some okra. I'm going to get you some okra. This is Chuck Cook, your host of the Immigration Hour on America's Web Radio. Until next week. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening.